0: You want to start? Hello, everybody, yeah, and welcome I'm to. Just the, is, is Drew ready to go? I don't know.
1: I don't. Let me. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs>
2: <laughs> go. Oh, I feel like I've been interrupted. No. Hello, Sorry. everybody, and welcome to the Chipmunch Podcast. Um, it is very exciting to be here. My name is Ethan. This is Joel, and we are joined this week uh, by Drew. Hello. Hello. Andrew welcome. or
1: Drew? Drew. I'm I only Andrew when and I'm in trouble. Okay. From yep. your mum. Yeah, okay, basically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dumped her in it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> Excellent.
2: Well, welcome to, welcome to YouTube Podcast. And the way we like to get to know you is we ask a very important question and that is how do you like your hot chips?
1: This is an excellent question because I consider myself to be a little bit of a chip connoisseur. I like -hmm. it when when some people say that when they come on the podcast. Now I've found that there are usually two types of people. There's the people who just come in and they squirt sauce or gravy and Mm. then they dig in and it becomes a mushy mess and that's fine for them. Me on the other hand, i'm one of those people that loves like seasoning and loves different things so i like you know your himalayan pink salt with Mm. uh mixed herbs and rosemary Mm. doused in it or and this is a personal favorite very english um salt and vinegar yes Mm. wow Wow. i've had a few people with english Mm. backgrounds yeah and And a a great one to try is also
0: paprika paprika and Mm. chips did you say paprika (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you <laughs> <She> did. <laughs> Ooh, it just gives
3: that
1: lovely little spicy edge to it, and oh, it's just awesome. like all of a sudden you just—it's you're a chip monster. It's chips, awesome. yeah. So, are you no sauce then, or you put sauce on the side and dip? Um, I like certain sauces actually, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I actually don't mind chips and sauce. Mm. It's just that I like a bit of diversity in that. Area. And I would prefer to not have the same approach every time. It just gets mm. a bit boring otherwise yep. for me. Mm, so I like mixing it up and, you know, trying different things. And no
0: pap- paprika sauce? Pap-ri- paprika. Yeah. Paparica. Ah, paparica. Oh, <laughs> paprika. I feel like that's a great brand, Arriba. actually. Paparica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paparica, paprika. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Say it five times. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. No thanks. <laughs> it's
0: like, yeah, paprika, paprika. Your favourite paprika made by your papa. With extra spice (laughs) for your (laughs) bar, and the brand could be (laughs) Mummers. Amazing, that tastes good. Yeah, that's like the next brand, the next uh, product. Yeah, we've solved it. Amazing. Uh, Any particular place that you like to get your chips, or like some things? I like. Sometimes I like to ask people if they have a memory, like a childhood memory about hot chips. Any, any, anything Mm. in regards to that?
1: Good question.
0: My grandfather used to get me fish
1: and chip chips um, mm. from Bondi because that's where he lived mm. and we used to sit on the beach and eat them and that was a very fond memory. So I can remember that at three and four, sort of oh, sitting there it. eating <coughs> with, uh, with Pop. Um, my favourite place to get them is often burger shops. I find mm. that burger shops have a great appreciation of chips. Because they add to the burger. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. A good burger and a good set of chips, and you know, man, mm. like
0: it's, it's all over. I'm mm. done for the night. So.
2: And they are better together. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I think. Mm. Did you notice there's no mention of chicken salt?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, paprika, paprika is a much cooler answer. Yeah. Paprika is the, a much cooler yeah, answer than There the, is a
0: thing on the podcast that we have that when uh, between myself, Braden, and Ethan, where Brayden and Ethan think that chicken salt is far superior to regular salt. And Ooh. I don't even like to call it regular salt because it's actually just salt. But, um, yeah, I keep getting outvoted on chicken salt over normal salt, which is upsetting. And I'm not dead against chicken salt, but I'm just like, you know what? I I think I've rem- I Really? Re- you I, were definitely dead against it no, for a long time. And I'm not fully, I am more against it than others. Right. But I realized where my dislike, this week, I realized where my dislike of chicken salt came from. Which is when I used to go to AMF Bowling mm. and actually bowl in competition, even though I was terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Big Lebowski over here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was a f- it was fun. But you could get hot chips from the place, and they would put so much chicken salt mm. on it that yeah. it was it was almost inedible. Note
2: note that it's not a burger place. Good point. I think that's a really important thing. Like point. I think if you're basing. <laughs> whether you like chips or not from AMF bowling. No, but no, sort of that's thing. what I mean. Like I just like that experience, mm. I don't think is the ideal. A
1: lot of formative experiences are like that though. You have a bad experience and mm-hmm. it's from a place where you shouldn't have what you've got mm-hmm. and just ruined The it. reason mm-hmm. I'm not a fan
0: of dogs is because I was riding my bike when I was eight years old in the neighbor's front yard, he had a path. He allowed us mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. And a large Dalmatian ran up behind me, oh. jumped on my back and pulled me off my bike. That's oh. why I don't like dogs. Was it trying to be your friend or was it like aggressive? I think it was just excited. Yeah, right. Mm. But um, it was a very large dalmatian. Dalmatians are huge. Yeah. They're, the other They're really big. Not there. I mean, it was one of them. But <laughs> <laughs> it was, just wasn't there. Yeah. Maybe eight or 100. And that's why it was so big.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> Amazing.
2: Yes. Anyway, I didn't see Corella either. No. <laughs> Good. Uh, speaking of formative experiences. <laughs> oh, um, segue. Thank you. Thank you for here all week. Uh, Drew, yeah. uh, how did you become a Christian? Good question.
0: Um, I, is, every, is all of our questions good questions? Because I like the sound of this If going forward with the podcast. Also, we've only got three. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Speak for yourself. Uh, I... I, I think I have a bad habit of doing oh, that. So sorry. I apologize oh, sorry. in sorry. advance, but um, <laughs> it's, it, it's... No, no, it, I feel great about it. No, it's yeah.
2: actually a fantastic, thoughtful strategy. of just like, give me a moment to think. And yeah, while it's I... It's a bit of a stall. Yeah, it's a bit of a stall. A yeah, really and, cool.
1: and what you've actually done is stalled enough for me to think through my response, which is... We got you. Very well helpful. That's it, Thank that's you. it. All right. Um, so the, <clears throat> the good and the long story of it is I grew up in a uh, culturally Christian family. My parents don't know their relationship with the lord but my assumption is they they don't walk with him Mm -hmm. um my brother spent some time going to a a church for a bit but but has not been seen there since the uh well the early 2000s i think is probably the right response to that maybe even earlier late 90s um and my younger brother never really had an interest in it so i was a uh, the more unusual one in that um, as I was going to church at um, a place called St. Thomas's in Kingsgrove, um, I got uh, baptized and um, what's the word? Um, confirmed. Confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I've done Bible training. Um, <laughs> yes. Got confirmed at, um, at St. Thomas's, uh, which was a good experience. And I feel like that had an, an impact on me. A, a guy called Ken Tulk was quite formative in my. Uh, Walk there, Uh, but even as young as a young kid in primary school, I still remember having deep moments of thought at school where I'm like, "What happens when you die? Hmm. What happens? You know, what happens after then?" Because I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around the concept of it stopping. Mm. I just that there's there's this block in my brain that at death and the stopping, it it doesn't make sense to me. Like that, there's obviously some drive to. To go further and see further so that's always sort of been a part of my life forming up and then um, I changed schools I went to a, a Catholic school for um, high school um, and ended up ironically in St Mary's Cathedral and I still remember having um, quite uh, vivid debates or um, enthusiastic debates with many of the Catholics there and even though I wasn't really attending church I still couldn't wrap my head around the theology of catholicism which has been a bit of a um an epic battle for me um and then towards the end of uh my high school period i started to go to church and uh that was interesting um so i went to a youth group and i went to a church and i think i had a better understanding of it and i could begin to to learn a little bit more about what it was to be a christian but it was still a very juvenile understanding of it um i turned 18 and um promptly walked myself away from things as i think some people do and spent i suppose you'd call them wilderness years where um i didn't really uh walk with the lord and then strangely it was when i was at uh Meyer, i was working at Maya during university and uh there was a, a young lass who I had an eye for over in uh, children's and women's wear who I started to get to know. <laughs> and uh, in the process of that, discovered that awesome. she was a Christian and she would uh, absolutely not do anything further than have a coffee with me until I decided to go to church. And, awesome. uh, you know, being the, the typical guy, I said, yeah, sure, I'll come along to church. And didn't work out with a girl, uh, but I kept the church, so to speak. So <laughs> I, I married the church. Um <laughs> and I rocked up at St. John's Anglican in Sutherland and spent quite a number of years there uh, being taught learning uh, that was really really good uh, I think I came a long way in that that part of it but I think that the real real moment where I fully understand the gospel and it's it's interesting right so I was going to church for a number of years very dedicated to the idea of it you know two three years mm-hmm. heard a heard a sermon by a guy called Tim Keller on the what he called the prodigal God and understood. He he explained and I understood what he was explaining um, in the terms of the gospel being, it's not what you do that's bad necessarily. It's also what you do that's good, which is bad. And that idea that we've all fallen short um, and we all sin and our motivations behind that sin um, are fairly consistent even when the outcome is good um, or bad. And that blew my mind. I -hmm. think I spent probably the next six to 12 months uh, feverishly listening to sermons where I understood the gospel Mm. for the first time. And I think that was quite um, a paradigm shift. That was very monumental for me. I went, actually, I get it. I finally get it. Um, And it went away from you just do good things to, no, no, there's a genuine relationship effort here from, your deity yeah. um, which is jesus coming down to, to earth to meet with us and um he's trying to tell us that it doesn't matter what we do we never get there and in fact there's a problem with the heart yeah. and um i think that was quite powerful because it started to answer a lot of the questions that I think we as people ask ourselves is why do I do this a lot that I reckon everyone has an internal dialogue that goes on um Christian or non-Christian why am I doing this why did why did I do that why? and I think it started to answer a lot of those questions for me that there was actual um there was an issue with my heart and it kept pushing me to do things that were negative that were unhelpful that exhibited sin which is that breakdown of a relationship um and that that really helped me because all of a sudden looking back on why I did things that I was either ashamed of or didn't think was helpful or even I was proud of, I could start to go, hang on there's something underneath all that that was driving me. Mm. It was really really helpful for me to hear um, all that sort of teaching. So, How old were you at that point, do you reckon? So I would have been 24, 25 and I'd been going to church for about two to three years before, like committed Christian Mm. attendance, um, which is odd in one sense because you assume that someone who's going to church for two to three years knows and understands the gospel. And in fact, I think one of the things I've discovered is there's a lot of people who sit in the pews that sometimes don't get it. And it's not that they're dumb and it's not that they're Mm. deliberately ignoring it. It's that... fully their heart hasn't, ha- hasn't sprung in asunder yeah. and understood the gospel.
0: Mm. And do you reckon that you, you spoke about that moment listening to the Tim Keller sermon, do you think you were looking, were you like, I'm still missing something or it was just you hadn't realised?
1: No, he just blew my mind, <laughs> like literally just blew my mind yeah, and right. my heart and, and, and it was hearing him, hearing him very proficiently um, expound the gospel um, in an exegetical way, in a very convincing way, um, in a very relatable way, like uh, it was. A, it was actually it was a Willow Creek sermon that he gave back when Willow Creek uh, conferences were a thing, and um, <coughs> there were two guys that were on. One of them was Harvey Carey, who I, I still listen to every now and then, and one of them was Tim Keller. And Harvey Carey came on. was like. I Asked to be put on after the lunch because I'm your your gospel cappuccino or espresso, and basically his his energy when he got up on stage <laughs> was just dynamic. And he, he we watched that, and then we watched Tim Keller's one. And true to his form, Harvey woke you up, and then kind of Tim oh. slam dunked it afterwards. It was just yeah, yeah, cool. brilliant in that sense. So, um, but yeah, I, I remember listening to was it. it was that um, guy Mier, um the tradies and oh, yeah. it oh, cool. was on a St. John's like leadership retreat thing. And, and I still remember sitting there walking out going, my my entire life has just been like overturned in, in yeah. one fell swoop.
0: Yeah. I think of all the stories that we've had on Gipolis, I don't think we've had one like this, which is quite interesting. And th- that doesn't mean that you're any different to the rest of us. Mm. I just think, I think that's really fascinating to see how god works in other ways and like sorry the one similarity though is that we have a lot of people i mean includes me it's like even before they become christians there's like oh there's something else you know you were talking about Mm -hmm. like what happens when you're when you after you die and all these kind of things. there's like god is like like whispering or calling to you and just he just chooses the moment when you need to like as you said like your heart springs asunder which is really Mm -hmm. Really fascinating. There's a great
1: image in, um, uh, I think it's uh, where I think it's in Jeremiah or Ezekiel. I can't remember where. Again, I've done Bible training. Um, where Elijah's on the mountain and he hears the two, the thunder and the the, the lightning, and then it, there's the whisper on the wind. Mm. Um, and and quite often, I think God works like that. The whisper on the wind, where mm. there's this little silent voice sitting, very patiently waiting for the right moments to speak into Mm. um and that is that they're the profound moments i think they're the ones where people are vulnerable when people are vulnerable things happen Mm. um which is you know really a challenging thing for anyone to be is vulnerable i think Mm. in a world which drives resilience or it's you know drives you know do do this and be strong and have courage you know to be vulnerable is actually really hard
0: yeah I think, how much do you think that, like, you going to Catholic school and stuff influenced that? Um, that isn't to give Catholics a hard time. No, I'm, just no. say, I'm just saying, I, I wonder if that did or didn't.
1: My experience has been, and sort of, I, I've talked to, to Tina about her her experience, and I hope I'm not talking out of turn with that, but your wife, she... Your wife, Tina? Yeah, mm-hmm. my wife, Tina. She, she grew up and um, went to a, a Christian school, and I think, very early on made a decision to walk with God. And I think the Christian school helped with that. And I think, um, you know, true Catholic who grew up in the system and, and believed it would it would still be helpful. I actually think though that it it's about different stages. So um, certain people will will have that moment of enlightenment when they're a child and when they're a school aged kid. Um, I know that it didn't influence me at all in terms of um, it didn't make sense to me. I struggled with the um the religiosity of it. And again, that's that's part of me as a person. Mm. I'm a bit anti establishment in, in many
0: senses. <laughs> um, just like the rituals and things like that. Is that what you
1: mean? Yeah, yeah the yeah. rituals don't don't gel with me. Right. Um the the long services which are not like I suppose, user-focused. And, and again, I know it's not about the user, but like when you're sitting there and the pew is breaking your back and you don't understand what they're saying and they're doing weird things and they're wearing weird clothes and you just sit there and you go, how is this at all part of my life? Mm. Um, and you know, having now read it a lot about why they do many of the things they do, I get why they do them and there's, there's purpose and meaning behind them and mm. that's fine. But I think there's there's something that I'm very passionate about, which is contextualization, and it's about taking something and helping people understand the meaning of it. Mm. I think potentially their challenge is that they they simply don't contextualize what they're doing. Um, they don't contextualize their message. That there are some people that you know a more um, formal appreciation of God works for them. Um, you know, and, and that's fine. Um, it just doesn't work for me. Um, if I can't wear thongs to a service in summer, um, I have to check out because <laughs> you know, ain't nobody got time
0: for that. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Stu's on my side with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what about you're your fa- welcome here? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What about your family though? Like, because you were saying they're they were, you were they're culturally Christian, and then you went to a Catholic school, but then you like started going to a church, like following a girl there. But then, like you started going to St John's at Sulland, what are they thinking if you're going to church um, regularly? They, I don't think they really mind. Mum,
1: mum, I think likes the idea of having a a good boy, mm. and I think she sees church as kind of shaping good moral behaviors. boy, yeah, good yeah. moral boy. Mm. Um, so I think in that sense, she she doesn't really mind. Dad certainly has. No objections either way. They're, they're, not, um, they're not anti-Christian, which is fine. Um, wh- where it becomes difficult is when... So I did a year in Tonga doing some mission work when oh. I was over there and mum done, didn't understand that. Why do you have to go there for so long? Um, that idea of allowing something to drive your life, that mm. didn't fit in her worldview was a huge challenge because mum like it is a bit of a mother duck likes to keep her kids close um and i'm the type of person that likes to wander Mm. and go on an adventure (laughs) and come back Mm. per se um which is ironic now because i can't do any of those things because of work and life and family (coughs) responsibility but (laughs) um i've always found that unless you unless there's a level of freedom to seek out what I feel is um, what should drive my life, um, I shut down quite, quite badly. Like I don't, I don't flourish as a human being. Um, and what my most freest moments have been when I've been pursuing things with God as the core, like, Um, whether that is raising my family to try and know who God is, but raise them in an environment that I know God wants them to be in, which is, um, often very difficult in a secular society, um, whether that is, um, pursuing, um, business in a Christian manner. So like in the business that I run, doing things the right way and doing things with a degree of integrity that I believe should be done, um, those things are what drive me and make me feel free. Yeah, uh, They're the, that, that, those set of rules set me free, so to speak. Mm. Um, whereas I think mum has a different set of rules, which is you just got to sort of sit in your box and do your nine to five and blah, blah, blah. It's a security like, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, there's no security in the world. Like, <laughs> There's no, like, you
0: know, segue. There's no 100% security, right? Nah, no, 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 no. There's I don't probably
1: mean, levels, but there's not 100%. Yeah, there's 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 certain things that are more sure than others, and that's all probability based. Yeah. Um, but to me, I've discovered that nothing is certain. And tomorrow, bang, lose your job, lose your house, lose your family, whatever. Mm. Any of those things could happen through some weird curveball. And the sooner people, I think, understand that, um. That's the environment we live in, the more people begin to think, mm. and that's that's a really powerful thing for everyone I think mm. Um, mm. yeah
0: and you you said that um you mentioned uni just before then what were you doing at uni <laughs> not, not uni work <laughs> um, <laughs> uh
1: i I spent more time in the uni bar playing pool um, than I probably did in lectures, and in fact, me and my mates would routinely slip out the back door of a three-hour lecture at the start as the old overheads had gotten warmed up and we'd return with about seven minutes to spare. Oh, the overheads were oh, all yeah. <laughs> um And I liked that in terms of I had no interest in the, a lot of the conversations that were going on because they weren't challenging, but mm. building relationships with my mates was. Mm. Um, so I did, I did a business um, and commerce degree and I, I majored in marketing and management, I think it was, mm. And I attribute that with um, helping me to learn to think a bit better because I think Mm. at school it's very prescriptive. You must do the syllabus, learn the syllabus, walk out. Mm. Um, Whereas I found uni more around the idea of what do you think? And I found that refreshing. Mm -hmm. Um, So towards the end of the three year, I was more interested in the talk just because the lecturers got more advanced. Mm. Uh, The start was just like a rehash of school. And I was like not interested at all um i got out of that. <laughs> um i was very happy to leave school mm. so yeah what uni were you at western sydney down
0: in Campbelltown. yes uws Campbelltown. Oh, yeah. let's go absolutely take yeah. that uow <laughs> i did a business <laughs> and commerce degree too there you go but in sports management major in sports management yeah so Love
1: yeah. I, I used to remember sitting at um so I used to pack all my classes into one day and it was generally a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I could Absolute work. dream, eh? Oh, <laughs> mate. Best. That's perfect. I was earning, you know, decent money and I was, you yeah. know, yeah. it was great. Absolute win. Um, But I still remember I'd I'd rock up at 9 o'clock on the train and I'd leave at 9 o'clock that night and I should walk along, you know, that really long walk to get back to um, MacArthur Station?
0: I don't because I drove every (sighs) single time. But I I know know where it is. You were
1: the guy I would have scabbed the lift off if I'd known. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, 100%. That's how I met another guy is like, well, you're the only guy from the Shire. That's (laughs) that's how we became friends. (laughs) (laughs) I remember um, sitting at the station and it was just
1: like it was like attack of the giant rats and there were like rats this long. Wow. Really? Yeah, at the station, awful, sorry? Awesome, yeah. That's yeah. Wow. the best. Yeah, and so you'd see like a, a Macus packet just sort of moving around. <laughs> i like, why is it moving? And then all of a sudden you see this giant head crawl out. And yeah, it's like, right. oh my gosh. It's like they breed them different down there. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Because there wasn't many people at the station, so there's just rats everywhere. That is everywhere. amazing. Yeah, it was dead at night. They were oh legit. yeah, because you say saying it's nine o'clock at night too. Yeah, at least wow. the, the largest one I saw was about two foot. So wow. Yeah.
0: it's awesome that's the best (laughs) it's like miniature cats the cats got scared and ran Ah, that's amazing (laughs) because we've talked about uni a fair bit on the podcast and how my experiences was i worked full time and then went to uni Mm. and i wish i'd never done that i wish i would just kept working because i feel like uni made me lazy but then we talked about it also gave us freedom to do like youth ministry and stuff too so it kind of worked out well i suppose my question the reason i bring that up is like what did you decide to do after uni? Um,
1: I went straight into work. So I, I worked all through uni as everyone does in retail, got out and managed to get a, um. Like a entry level role at Johnson and Johnson, which was mm. good, um, and I learned a lot of hard lessons there. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't prepare you for full time work, does it? No, 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 no. no. It's oh, it's
0: about lessons. politics. Didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: right. What do you mean? I have to work a full eight hours? Like, why can't just slack off? <laughs> I got that. Yeah, yeah. So um, it <laughs> it's also challenging as well because you you it's a t- completely different environment for anything that you've done, mm. right? So. Like work lunches, best thing ever. But I didn't realize you meant to go back to work after. (laughs) Like, so it like- Well, we just like keep talking. Yeah, can you just keep, no, you got to go back to work. But, but really? I just had a schnitzel and I'm
0: about to have a food coma. Yeah, I need to have
1: a sleep. Yeah, this isn't going to work for me. Um, So you learn a lot of hard lessons there. And-
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like about food and sleep. That's pretty pretty. much, yeah.
1: Um, So that was, that was good um but you also learn you you learn from your mistakes and i think Mm. you know that Mm. that made me really um a much better kind of rounded person learning hard lessons and we don't do that enough i think we don't Mm. get get our kids to learn hard lessons we protect them a bit which is part of the conversation we're having before but yeah um, i think that was really helpful for me and then i spent Spent sort of three years at J&J and then I did a stint at Unilever, which was all right. I, that was where I discovered that um, uh, commutes were a problem. <laughs> um, so... Makes I things would, a lot harder. Mm. Oh, man. Like, I was commuting from Sutherland up to um,
0: Epping. Yeah, right. Every day <sighs> in yeah. the car. I used to do... Uh, my first job out of uni was at a sports organisation and they were a Olympic park. So, mm. But I had to catch a train. Mm. So it was... Killer. originally it was two hours each way mm. i was like yeah you understand that <laughs> oh mate i get it like it was one of those ones where if i
1: got up i got up at 5 30 and i'd leave at like half past six right mm. which is where my fondness for white horse coffee came from because they were the <laughs> only place that were open at 6 30 <laughs> and i'd rock up and if i wasn't on the road before quarter to seven it was an hour and a half mm. if mm. i was on the road before quarter to seven um it was 45 to an hour yeah like it's a, big, a it's a huge difference. It's a big difference, yeah. yeah. And then, you, you, what do you do in the car? And that's where I discovered podcasts. So I like I've listened to that many sermons and podcasts, and mm. it's it's great. Like, so I, I really enjoyed it and valued that. And I think when I look back, God was teaching me by having that period of, of time. Um, and in fact, that's a, after, that's when I sort of began to move, make the move and decision towards, you know, studying theology. Um, so I, I signed up to SNBC when I was at. Unilever, but hmm. um, y- yeah, the, the commute back. I still remember my worst commute back was, gosh, I got on the road at four thirty on a Friday afternoon, and because there was a crash, um, I can never remember the specific name, but you know where you have the Y when you the Y junction when you're coming down King George's Road or from the Princess Highway, and it yep. funnels in to go over Tom Uglies? Yep. There was an oh, accident yeah. on both sections at, at the advanced, like further up from the Y, which then. <sighs> Compounded with another accident that was in the Y Junction two and a half hours it took me to get home mm. on a Friday afternoon I was about ready to murder someone for this time. <laughs> um,
0: it's like when you used to you know even when I remember I used to work at Arncliffe and it was if the trains weren't working, I used to drive home. Like, it was just the, both bridges coming back into the shire were just absolutely yeah. tanked. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And I was in a little Mazda 323 with a manual, and my clutch was
0: gone by the oh, yeah. end of it. It was like, I was like... <laughs> 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 the manual in traffic is not, is yeah. not fun. not fun. Uh... Just before, Oh, okay, go, you've got to ask a question. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Ethan. My apologies. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> this is my podcast. Yeah, you're running the show. Go for it. Not nice. really, the Chip Lord. I just. Chip lord. All the chip hail lord. His Majesty. This the guy does he- What's it called? I even think. Chicken salt. I couldn't, I couldn't remember what it was called.
2: Dave, can you can you find a chip crown and just put oh, it here,
0: like the on his head? I've, I'm thinking of the um, you know, the little fries. Yeah, yeah from yeah. Um, McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, just like a Macca's fries on my head, on the on the head. I yeah. love it. Poor Dave, spending hours Good trying luck. to animate that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Individual
2: chip it. at a time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love you, Dave. Thanks for editing. Um, you mentioned though. I don't know when this happened, but uh you went to Tonga. Yeah. On a missionary trip. When did that happen all around this? Uh
1: so I left uh July, uh it was actually August I think it was August eighth or August twelfth, one of the two, um twenty eleven. Um and I came back sort of late July, I think July thirtieth in twenty twelve. So Is that
0: after you went to SNBC? It was or during. Was, oh during. <laughs> all right, so let's Let's uh, go SNBC and then you can tell us the yeah, Tonga, yeah, yeah. The Tonga sure. missionary trip. Wh- at the same why SNBC? Yeah. Like
2: why did you choose to do um, not not necessarily that not why that place, but why why? I had a on my,
1: my year at the time. Um, at Unilever, <laughs> um, no. Um, in
0: in personal life, you really did hit bit. up all the big uh, pharmaceutical brands. Yeah, yeah. Johnson and Johnson and Unilever. There's is, is, is another one, isn't there? Um, yeah, uh, so oh, see, when, I I, got that when I came
1: back from Tonga, I interviewed there, got a job there, but ended up going to McWilliam. So I could have done three <laughs> from three, but anyway. Okay. Um, SNBC, sorry. Yeah, so I, I had a few people in my ear who one of them was very um, anti-Moore um, and didn't really more want me to go to Moore College. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I probably gave them a little bit too much um, sway in the, the decision-making process. In saying that, I also had other people saying, "Go to more, go to more." Mm. Um, so it was just more where I was at at the time. Um, I did feel like at the time the decision to give up full-time work and mm. you know work part-time and study full-time and live in Newtown was probably not the decision for me that I wanted to make Mm. um, just because of where I was in my life circumstances. So I was trying to look for a a part-time study option. Mm. Um, I did a lot of research on a couple of the different places and I really enjoyed the, um, they call it interdenominational rather than um, anything else. Um, And I liked that fusion of different learning Backgrounds coming together and, and different lecturers. Um, I also really do think that everyone's on a mission, um, mm. and whether your mission is here or overseas, um, or you know, Christian life is a mission. Yeah, mm-hmm. your so mission. yeah, for sure. I really I liked that idea. Yeah. Um, I kind of had in my head that I would go overseas at some point. Right. So I thought, oh, well, it, it sort of fits. Um, and their part time options were great. So um, I learned that the. <laughs> it's a 40,000 foot sort of view. My my part-time degree took nine years. Um, when I was I started at SMBC, when I moved over to Tonga, I had to do it by correspondence. But because SMBC didn't offer correspondence, I had to do it through um, Melbourne School of Theology. So I did um, a certain number of subjects through there. Then when I came back to SMBC, I was both uh, doing Melbourne School of Theology. Is that the same as Ridley? Or yeah, I think yeah. it's the old Ridley, yeah. yeah. Okay. Melbourne School of theology and SMBC classes at the same time, so crossing over it was very weird. Yeah. Um, and then um, I spent um, sort of years doing SMBC. Mm. I, I got to the maximum amount of time <laughs> it could take to do yes,
2: a <laughs> course. So, so if you got to if you, you you're taking you're taking ages to do it, and so it must be really important that you want to do it. What why? why Why do theological training? Like what triggered that? Um, What made you want to do it?
1: My initial thought was I really wanted to kind of go into full-time ministry. Mm -hmm. um, And I felt like I had a a good skill set that God could use in an environment like that. Um, I really value what ministers do and pastors do in the environment. I believe that they have a pretty difficult job. I also think that they're there sort of sometimes needs to be people from different walks of life Mm. get involved in ministry and in pastoring. And I felt like my background and my history um, qualified me to be someone that could understand and mix with different people groups. Mm. I think is probably the best way to describe them. Um, And I felt like that would be a great sort of journey for me to go on. Mm. Um, I also deeply value that academic foundation should grant you the opportunity to be more effective um, in some of the skill sets that you use. So yeah. I, I really like learning and then taking what I've learned and applying that. So that's sort of my <coughs> bent. Um, <laughs> too much chicken salt.
0: Please, please continue. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, you're right.
1: Um... So that was sort of the the reason. I feel like it has um, given me a fantastic understanding of things that I didn't consider Mm. in my Christian walk. Um, I also really value learning how to do certain things Mm -hmm. well. Um, I really valued learning how to properly write essays, which is something I didn't (laughs) do at university. Um, That is going to sound boring to people, but um, I love the idea of a constructed argument and... Written form is fantastic.
2: Oh, and I also think, like, I think, yeah, it's it's very easy to make that sound boring, like, yeah, but um, but it's I think it's really important to, like, come out of something like that, like a like a like a like a degree that is a lot of essay writing and mm. stuff like that, um, with the ability to, like, it's teaching you it's teaching you to form an argument. It's not just teaching you to write an essay. It's going how do I, in a conversation with someone, yeah. or in a debate of any kind or in a, like, it's not that you're, you're now better at arguing it's now like, which I guess you may be, but it's actually, it's actually about that idea of, oh no, I can actually have a constructed thought Mm. that is, that is cohesive and helpful and I understand it and I know how to present it. Yep. And yes, written form, but also you can, I don't know, you can talk in structures and you can, Um, research properly and you can like I think that's all really really helpful Mm -hmm. whether you're doing a marketing degree or a theological degree or Mm -hmm. a a law degree like you may be getting it differently but I think it's really easy to be like oh essays are all (sighs) because they are they suck but also like it's actually that is a really great takeaway yeah
1: I think the thing that really trained me to do and this is something that I was not good at before mm -hmm. is you need to understand both sides of the argument in an essay Um, Yeah, and I feel like as a culture we've really lacked that mm. ability to sort of see someone else's perspective. Um, and I've found that in my conversations with people when I'm trying to evangelize, so to speak, um, if you just disregard people's perspective, mm. it's, it is a, it's a great way to not be loving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's all right. Yeah. And in fact, many people have many valid reasons for not being a Christian. Yeah, And those valid reasons need to be understood and engaged with yeah. um, if you're any hope of, you know, being an instrument for God to help them mm. on their walk. Um, I, I really, really value that I had to learn a lot of things I disagree with, mm. uh, particularly about other religions and other parts of the Christian fabric of theology. Um, that trained me really well. So I also then understood, I think, that in the process of that, that people people are a story mm. more than they realize and actually understanding someone's story and being able to speak into that story and offset some of what they're saying with have you thought of this and Mm. i wonder if when you look at that perspective you consider that kind of um, point um i found that that's really helpful Mm. especially when speaking with non-christians who have had poor experiences with god
2: Mm. and i think or church yeah Um, because i think you're totally right in that like, a person's worldview and the things they think about and the things they love and feel and, yeah. and experience is because of that story that they are. Like, uh, not just the story that they tell, but the story that they've experienced mm. and the story that they have lived through. And that was just my, for audio people, that was my...
0: Oh, thanks I just you. threw my coke away for and coke sprayed away it me. everywhere. You didn't get it um, on the
2: computer, though. No, I also didn't get it over me. It's <laughs> just just, just <laughs> you. Sorry, Um You rendered the wall, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> No. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> I'm so de- sorry. I definitely the I did as, setup I did as much time. damage as I could possibly do. Um, <laughs> the that that really that really pulled me out of my very solid point yeah, about stories. Was really it story. was really enigmatic and <laughs> interesting. Um, no, but but I think I was actually just trying to affirm you, really, and just mm. say that I'm that that's a really fantastic way of looking at um, looking at evangelism. I think it's a really cool way to um, when we when we talk about apologetics and we talk about mm. uh, and we talk about talking to people who don't believe the same thing. It's really easy just to be like, all right, what are the what are the talking points that we can counter? What are the what are the cultural worldviews or perspectives yeah. or things that we can have the answers to? And what are the mm. um, yeah the questions that we want to avoid or, or stuff like that mm. is really easy. But but at the end of the day, you're right. It comes down to what's that person's story mm. and how can Jesus fit in that. Yeah, which is why um, you
0: said before you're like contextualization is really important. Hundred percent,
2: hundred percent. Um, and not and not contextualization without the truth of the Bible. Like, it's not. It's not. I, I, I. If I understood you correctly, it was not changing the truth of the Bible to contextualize. It was going. How can we present that? Yeah. How can we present the gospel? How, yeah. yeah. How can we present the gospel in a way that people will um will react to in a way that is um, um,
0: um, helpful, helpful. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. When I when I was finishing the masters that I was doing, one of the uh, you, you have to do a project, which is oh, a fancy I you of, like you did another masters No, 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 okay. no. Right now, right. It's part of. Part I've of maxed it too. I'm not going. Back <laughs> to um, but when I was doing the masters, there's a project at the end, which is about eight thousand words. It's a, it's a se- essentially a very long essay. Yeah. Um, and they 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 want you to pick a topic that you're passionate about. Mm. Um, that hasn't been contributed to and then walked through it. And the topic I discussed was that um, preaching in the Bible was always contextual mm. and that um, if you don't contextualize as a preacher, you're going to lose your audience. Very interesting. Um, and what I tried to show is that if you compare um, Peter during the uh, Pentecost and, Peter, uh, and then Paul at the Areopagus, yep. Um, yep. the way he talks about um, God in those two... Um, uh, audiences is very mm. different yeah. yet the truth is abundantly aligned
0: yeah because mm. the Greeks are same. like look at this guy talking about one god only yeah. right yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah whereas and then the Jews are used to hearing about one god only yeah.
2: mm. and it's about how that god fits in their history and, and in their yeah. people and and That's in their right. and in their customs mm. um versus how in the arab uh, where guess, it was, it, it, it. it was that it was that paparica <laughs> <Aereopagus. laughs> um yeah it was that yeah. look at your gods and look at how hmm. my god has yeah. something better
1: hey, Paul went on a logical approach yeah it
2: was whereas Peter went on a historiographical. approach Yep. Okay. Yeah, coach, it And it's fascinating. Mm. And that's how people in the Areopagus would talk. They would, the whole thing is you rock up there and yeah. you talk about logic and you talk about ideas and you talk mm. about thoughts and you talk about um, philosophies. And Paul knew that. And so he did that. He talked mm. about logic and philosophies and ideas. Yeah. Um, and then he just went, look at
0: Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pretty much. <laughs> mm. Give or take. I was going to ask you, though, Drew, did you end up doing any ministry after you mm. finished the
1: um, course? Yeah, so I. I um, I suppose I, I did a little bit of preaching and mm-hmm. teaching at um, a couple of churches, which was... Mm. Which you've really also done good. here. Mm. Yeah, which I've, I've done here. I've probably been more active here than anywhere oh, okay. else. Um, yeah. You preached on Sunday? Yep, I did. Oh, nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. which was um, preached on Esther, which at the end is a story. Mm-hmm. And um, I love Old Testament narrative. It's, yeah. it's, it's so rich and um, colourful in mm. the sort of insights that it can give you into life. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but I did a little bit at St. John's. I did a little bit at Menai. Um, I led a couple of Bible studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, when I was in Tonga, um, part of, and I suppose we'll get into more detail, but it's a good mm. segue. Yeah, here. it's a great yeah, segue. Great. Yeah, um, great. let's go for it. So the the whole gig with that is, um, or deal with that is, uh, the, the Tonga is an interesting nation where it's um, very, very much a Christian nation. Mm. Um, and when you arrive there, there's three main, main churches. There's, uh, there's, the, um, Wesleyan Church, the Free Church of Wesley, and uh, the Mormons, uh, and the, okay. the two first ones sound very um, much the same. But, well. <laughs> but essentially, it's the same church that schismed. I don't know, sixty years before I arrived, and um, the church, of the Wesleyan Church, um, runs a lot of the education system over there. So about thirty percent of the schools are run by the Free Wesleyan, uh, run by the Wesleyan Church. Um, their business ventures consequently pay for that education. So it's a little bit of a circle where mm. the people buy from a store and then the profits go back into the, fr- the church and then the church funds the cool. education system and so on and so right. forth. Yeah, cool. um, Unfortunately, I had some uh, <laughs> democratic issues, shall we say, where um, they had a little bit of a riot in 2006 and um, whoopsie burnt down some buildings. Um, <laughs> whoopsie. <laughs> those, those buildings just happened to be the ones that the, the church needed to... Um, have revenue coming into the coffers. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so the the long and the short of it was um, China, in its sort of diplomatic ways, decided that they would donate some money to, mm. not donate but loan some money to, mm. to Tonga. And um, the church applied for a loan um, and decided to build back one of the buildings to obviously bring in an income. And they needed someone to do some business management for it. And I was young and... Um, willing and Mm -hmm. went over there and sick it was um challenging i was way too young from the perspective of no one listened Uh, so i didn't have enough gray hair that was what i discovered my big problem was Mm -hmm. um i also discovered about two three months in that there was no way that they could pay off the loan (laughs) (laughs) so we're sort of telling the mission organization i think you need to send someone over here A, a not listening to me and b they're in frightful trouble yeah um so they sort of sent someone over, uh, but by the end of it, I'd drawn up a business plan, a marketing plan. Yeah, awesome. Um, and sort of fixed everything that I could fix mm. and then um, ran out of things to do, but decided to stay on for another six months <laughs> and um, live on a tropical island because, you know, who, who wouldn't? Well, yeah. uh-huh. And um, as sort of that six-month mark for me was coming up, just before I decided to stay, the the, the small church that was there, which was like a little... Um, expat church Uh, everyone who'd been there for years and this is Tonga to a T just went oh we're going for a little while can you just watch the place and I'm just sitting there going okay so I basically picked up the Bible study and all the preaching and everything. I was a as well. So it was so cool. Like I was <laughs> playing with the money. It was, it was great. Um, and um, yeah, they basically said, yeah, yeah, you're running the show. And then yeah, right. I just did that for the next six months until Blimey. they all decided to come back. And Did you preach in English or you preach in... I preached in English because it was expat. So, yeah, okay, anyway. so it was basically a kaleidoscope of um, Poms and Yanks and Kiwis and a couple
0: of Aussies. <laughs> like uh, um, you, you didn't call them by their like american name he's just like by <laughs> like, all like australian nicknames poms yep. aussies kiwis yep 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 yeah, That's we'll me,
1: <laughs> and um yeah so it was good because like the church got pretty small for a while but mm. it, it humbled me in many senses because like at some point i was preaching to three to five people and yeah. you're like mm. anyone looking from the outside in is like why are you doing this mm. um what's the point and to me i was like actually the point is that people are turning up and yeah this is really good for my heart because it's it's showing me that actually it's not about, you know, the lights and the, you know, lights, camera, action. You know, it's about actually... Preaching the gospel. Yeah, preaching Preaching the gospel. gospel, It's all about. Um, It also was really good because I knew roughly he would be in the service every week. So I could hyper contextualize it to their lives yeah so they'd all walk out go i felt like you really were talking to him like (laughs) i was (laughs) so it was like it was you know you can't do that here you know Stu can't you know he's got 100 odd people in a sermon or 200 people you can't you know narrow it down to one person Mm. but like (laughs) i got that chance (laughs) It was pretty funny um so that that was cool and um yeah so at, at the end of it i i came home and um Walked off the plane, froze to death, and rocked up to a job interview at McWilliams Wines the day after, and <laughs> got the job. Wow, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and
0: have been sort of peddling wine since. So, hmm. yeah, <laughs> peddling wine since. <laughs> a wine peddler. Um, so that was the. That, was that what you planned to come back and just I get a job like that as then? well?
1: Yeah. Right. So, like, I could have gone for another visa. Uh, it wasn't. Wasn't i think the right thing to do mm. i think i needed to come home i think i'd learned what i was going to learn um yeah. and i think staying there it was either going to be a 15 year jaunt or it was going to be a sort of come home like a 15 year uh, yeah. jaunt That's yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 actually a seductive lifestyle like i my my commute was a seven minute um bike ride when i was commuting yeah. um you you can live off three to five thousand dollars Australian fairly easily um like per year per or year <sighs> and that I mean that's pretty baseline mm, we mm. I tried to live a bit higher than that so yeah, I wasn't eating you know uh, barbecue chicken each night from the, <laughs> the local barbecue store um but it's it's a seductive lifestyle because it's it's warm mm. um it, there is that cultural element where you know the the, the which is what the they call Westerners It does get treated a little bit different because that's life in the Pacific. Mm. Um, You know, at the end I I tried to think, what am I going to be doing long-term? And if I'm going to sit here and do this, it has to be this. And then you're forfeiting your ability to build, you know, a life in Australia. Mm. Um, I don't miss the medical, um, system, <laughs> they do need help there, I've, I've heard that it's since gotten better but uh, it, it is a challenge mm. um, but yeah, it, it was it was something I never thought I'd do um, but once I did it, I'm like ah, I, I get this, I really get this I get why missionaries are passionate about it, mm. um, you do see things so super clear you see things it, it's like it's like you've got a different set of glasses on different perspective yeah. and the, the six months when you come back as well you're like hypersensitive to everything that westerners are doing wrong in, culture in their, shock yeah. of your the, own culture yeah yeah. You, you see your own culture in a massively different light and like the extravagance that we live here and the waste that we mm-hmm. live here is phenomenal but you then get very used to it slowly mm. over time mm. and eventually just that that whole sense leaves you in one, one way or another so,
0: yeah. And so, sorry, the place you moved to is wine? Like, so when you got that job, that's a wine yeah, distributor? It's, it's a wine. It, McWilliams is a wine business. Oh, uh, so McWilliams, so it used to, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It used, to, <laughs> um,
1: it used to be a family-owned wine business that sold its own wine to different um, retailers like Endeavor Drinks, which is BWS and their Murphy's oh, right, yep. or Cole's Liquor. Um, I was there for a couple of years and then got headhunted over to Endeavor Liquor, which is the largest national chain of um, uh, uh, drinks, I guess you'd call them, mm. and um, I spent six years there and then um, got headhunted and went over to Pernod Ricard, which was an interesting time. Um, that was a uh, very big learning experience for me, uh, and then I sort of six months in decided I wasn't really cut out for corporate life anymore, and handed my regs resignation at 12 months and went out and did my own thing and i'd like to say i haven't looked back since but the reality it's it's you know you even even though i've got a lot more freedom to do certain things it's brings all sorts of different difficulties Mm. Um, and you're much more a um a leaf on the on the tide of the market and when that is a bumpy market um you feel every bump Uh, whereas big Big ships can kind of just carve through it a bit easier.
0: How is that like? I suppose my question is, that, as a Christian, like first of all, going into business on your own, but then also when you have to ride those big bumps, like you're talking about, that are present for a small business, especially, what does? Um, how does that help being a Christian? How does being a Christian help in those scenarios?
1: Um, it gives you someone to cry to. <laughs> um, that's always helpful. Hmm. Um, I think there is um a real opportunity for for church and churches to um, uh, engage with those people in those environments a little bit more and and that's not to say that's not pointing finger at solos or anyone that's more I think there's a lot of learning there that we could all do together which would benefit everyone um because in terms of, in terms of what. Because I think what it teaches you is that um, you are much more at God's will than you realize, mm. and that is one thing I've learned. Very often, things will happen and there's no reason for them, except that there's, a, I feel, divine intervention in what's going on in my business life, um, which is a strictly um, offensive thing to say to a business person because um, they believe that they're the masters of their own destiny. There's a
0: lot of like self-made no. kind of vibe.
1: I'm not, I'm not self-made in the sense of um, I, I'm, I very much believe everything I'm, being gifted in yep. my businesses is from God. Yeah, and, and your skills and abilities and yeah, yeah, kind of yep. yep. like the the entrepreneurial thoughts that I have are all God's, not mine. Mm. Um, so it becomes easier in one sense to ride waves, knowing that God's on either side. Um, it doesn't help with the sick feeling in your stomach Yeah, something goes wrong. You're still riding it. (laughs) Yeah, you're still riding it for sure. Um, But you begin to realize that even if you are a little leaf, um, you're a little leaf that God has control over and that is much more comforting than you think at your darkest times. I find the trick is is when things are going well, it's really easy to forget that as well. I find it really hard to... um, I find it really hard in general to remind myself to thank God. Yeah, I and think I, it's struggle for everyone. Yeah, um, and I try to keep thinking that I'm only able to do a lot of these things because of God and, and pushing that into the front of my mind. You know, uh, you know, not that I think God sits there and, and plays with you like a toy, but I do think that the experience has been one that God has pointedly said to me, I'm in charge of you or not, and I just need to keep remembering that. Yeah. and as i keep remembering that the good and the bad becomes a little bit less important mm. because in the day, you know what am i doing serving god feeding my family mm. i'm you know trying to live a godly life they're the only things that matter um
0: have you seen like you you talked before about like your inte- integrity is really important and i think as christians it is a really important thing to focus on have you seen in running your own business that pursuit of integrity uh work out well for you or even just impact someone else that's not used to them to seeing that level of integrity
1: um i think so in the sense that
0: like so for instance i took on a contract
1: once where um i didn't feel towards the end that i was delivering on what i was being paid to do Mm -hmm. and i actively canned the contract and i felt like it meant that the relationship I had with the person would persist down the track. Even though I wasn't able to deliver what he wanted, the fact that I said, I'm calling it, I'm not, I'm not actually helping you, I'm, I'm not able to do what... You're I'm not delivering doing. it. Yeah. kind of thing, Yeah. Um, I think that made a difference to him, that he felt like I actually did have the best interest for his business. Mm. Um, it also changed failure in the sense of, even in failure, you can succeed by actually... Holding to Christian principles and Mm. teach people that, um, for argument's sake, if you're not delivering on something, you can still go about it the right way rather than take the mickey. Mm. Um, So there's that. I think um, it's increasingly different to be a Christian in business now more than ever. I think when like, for instance, if you're paying someone and you're paying them above ward and doing things the right way, a lot of people can – be taken aback by that i think like paying if you paying on time paying on time, time is is a good one <laughs> um you know especially when you're not getting paid on time you have <laughs> yeah, i was going to say savings and yep. pay someone else yep um i think um on one of the small ventures that i've got i, I deal in a, a, a relatively fraught part of the market and um the person i'm working with is remote and he and i are basically partners in what we're doing and i think He's a little bit shocked by how transparent I am and that, mm. like what what responsibilities and um privileges I'm happy to, to just kind of say you're in charge of that and yeah, take that over. because yeah.
0: that's yeah, that's not
1: my strength. Yeah, um, and I've found that that works really well for us because um, I don't I don't question, for instance, the finances that he's moving between things. I don't question it at all. I just I just trust that he's doing the right thing. And I found that he's really transparent. As a consequence, he comes forward and says this or that mm, or whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: And because you're exhibiting that behaviour as well.
1: Yeah. And that makes me proud because I feel like, because I know he's not a Christian, I feel like I'm giving him the best re- reason to re- rethink his position. Mm. Um, and I think that's all I can do. I think differently too, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah. So I think they're the positives. Um, I am seeing that it's, very difficult to politically manage a business in a um, hashtag work environment where um, there's a lot of different views flowing around about things. Um, I've so far avoided a lot of that. I just kept my head down but some of the contracts I've got um, like a big one that I've got at the moment with Pinnacle Drinks, it's it's, it's everywhere there and I ask you to join in and like for instance I'm doing a project for the loud and proud
0: and so they're the positions that you get put in and how do you, you know. stand how do you stand over what you believe as a Christian but um, also but like you're yeah. also contracted to a business to deliver a particular service, right? So yeah. that's that sounds like it's a really difficult thing yeah. to to balance.
1: And I've also had to do the kind of um, thinking through of um, you know in, in doing projects like that, what are you actually supporting? Well, mm. you're actually not supporting anything either way. It's like um, any of the projects I'm doing I don't support per yeah. se. It's that I'm doing work that brings a project to life. Yeah, I think so. And gives them the ability to mm. do whatever they want with mm. it. Um, and in that sense, it's their statement that they're making, not mine. Mm. Um, I, so I, I've begun to think through a lot of those things. I think um, there are certain battles and certain things you should dig your heels in on, Um I just think sometimes as Christians, we don't always get what that is right. And I think there's certain things we should be rethinking, how we engage with. Um, And then there's other things where we've gotten it right and begin more. Mm. Um, They're really difficult um, topics, I think, because I don't believe the dialogue from an inter-Christian perspective is happening. Um, I think we as as a wider church be talking more about how do we deal with these challenges how do we deal as a collective wider group Mm. Um, because if you start to get the teachers and the people who are sort of ministers and stuff in a room discussing things it helps them to work it out and then that then flows through the rest of the congregation a little Mm. bit more i find Um, that's the one thing that i've i think from an observer's point of view, in a business environment, we we don't necessarily get right.
0: So that's interesting. Um. Well, before I ask you the final question, it's just tell us about your family because you have quite a large family, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. there are particular reasons for that, obviously. But um, it'd be better for you to tell us like how that <laughs> ended yeah. up happening and and why <laughs> How many actually? How many kids are in your family now? I have six. Yeah, that's quite yeah. a lot. Um, I don't <laughs> sleep, um, <laughs> yeah.
1: as you can tell by the bags under my eyes. Um, actually, looking alright today. Huh? <sighs> oh, I was just looking then, and like, yeah, you look alright. <laughs> the uh, foundation must you be. I was going to say yeah, you yeah, put yeah, makeup yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I am married to Tina. Uh, we um, got married in 2019, and um, we're both on our second marriage. We, we, we sort of divorced from previous um, partners. Um, she had three kids to her previous husband and I had one um, kid to my previous wife Uh, and all four of those were girls (laughs) Um, so when joining it together um, it was a a giant squeal of happiness Um, and we decided that rather than um, sleep and and you know go on adventures we would decide to have a few more kids. you've had two more, right? Yeah, we've <laughs> had two more. Um, so we had little Serafina, who mm. is um, nearly two, and she's an absolute delight. Um, and she squeals like a, yeah. like a happy little kid. Mm-hmm. So she's got that great energy and, mm. and vivaciousness, which is what you want. Uh, and then we've got little Jesse, who's uh, nearly six months old. Um, and he is a wonderfully smiley little boy um, who we're hoping will eventually sleep through the night. And that would be um, that would be positive. For <laughs> it would be very positive for yeah. everyone involved. Um, it's so, positive when it happens. Yeah, it is. Uh, it'll happen. He's a good kid. Like he, he's just obviously yeah. going yeah, through that learning curve of what it is. Just where is to, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, be awake and um, find out what it is that the nightlife is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, so we've got six. We have a um, a care carnival which gets all kind <laughs> of loaded <laughs> up. A bus. A bus. Yep. Um, <laughs> a bus. So my little runaround is is still with me because obviously for work, but yeah. Um, yeah, we can't fit hardly anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so we have a big family. Um, mm. We have our own unique challenges. Um, mm. So we 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 have a kind of perspective where um, halves don't count. You round up and treat everyone like they're the, the same. Um, so everyone's equal and square in our family. Mm. Um, we uh, do enjoy. I think seeing them bond and hmm. seeing and I, I suppose other parents who are listening to this who had have older kids and then have had a couple of younger kids will, will understand this but seeing your older kids um, uh, find joy in your younger kids look mm-hmm. after them then. Yeah. yeah and the relationship that they're building like when the girls come home from school so we, we don't exist to Serafina she's just <laughs> gone yeah. Awesome. And they love her and she loves them. Yeah. And that's really lovely. Mm. And that, that, that is a real parenting thrill for me. Mm. Um, so I really enjoy that. And, 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 and learning how to, how to navigate that, mm. that situation is, is, is one that I'm enjoying at the moment. So how old's the oldest? It goes 14, 12, 10, 9, nearly two nearly 6 6 months so 6 old. months yeah 6 right. months, yep. six months. <laughs> um, yeah so it's it, there's a there's a gap <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we were, we, we were, it was like it was like snakes and ladders and we got all the way up and then we hit a snake and went all the way back <laughs> yeah. down yeah yeah yeah
2: so quality yeah i i'm i'm a i'm 6 years older than my brother and that's not as big a gap as as any of them actually but um but i think that that was that was a real it's been a real privilege growing up with him mm. and actually like only just then, like I'm 24 and Eli just turned 18 and it's like, oh, this is really cool. I've got him. like my friend who's been my little friend is now- My big friend. Like my big friend and yeah. it's great. Like, um, and it's really cool to, um, like I think I assume mum and dad have enjoyed watching that friendship happen and grow. like yeah, absolutely. And like, um, and, like I, a lot of the cultural stuff I'm aware of, I'm aware of because I've been with Eli for so like, for so long, and he's influenced me as much as I've influenced him. And mm. um, yeah, it's really beautiful to see that, and that's definitely not on the scale <laughs> that your girls and boy are working on. But um, but it is, but it's really beautiful to see, and wow. I'm really stoked that you're able to see that, and you're getting to see that, and that they're getting to see that. Like, yeah, I think
0: also that the fact that they're growing up in a Christian household is yeah. just really lovely. Super lovely. I like the idea of that too and i'm I'm assuming that the older kids they go off to their yeah, so their certain um, times
1: yeah, they have certain times where they go back to yep. their respective mm. others mm. and and that's that's um a joy for us as well, <laughs> like, so if there break. is one small <laughs> silver line into this whole thing, the holidays are a lot quieter for us, <laughs> um and yeah. I know that um not everyone will will think this, but when it's down to only two for Tina and I,
0: it feels like none, <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yep. I mean I've got three and I'm like um, this is enough yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like to double that number that'd be really tough yeah how does um, I always like to ask parents on this podcast like what has God taught you about being a parent oh a lot yeah. um, so
1: um, you realise what your parents haven't done when you become a parent mm. and then you can take that that's a really learn
0: good point. What God has done, mm. that you always crave. Man, that's really good. That's very cool. Well done, Drew. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that's really helpful for me as um, well. I also think that you
1: get the chance to. You get the chance to explore with your kids their journey mm. um, and you don't realise the impact that has on the kids, mm. per se. Um, you mean as a Christian? Is yeah, as yeah, a Christian. I yeah, yep. so um, I, like, incidental, incidental moments mean more to kids, I think, than than adults necessarily understand mm. but I feel like what the Bible has taught me is whilst there is an overarching narrative, there are incidental moments in the Bible which are pivotal. For example, the, the story that I mentioned before you know the whisper on the, on the wind or the you know, Jesus on the cross or mm. you know um, Abraham and Isaac those incidental moments are kind of pivotal. And what it taught me is that um, quantity time leads to quality time. Mm. Yep. So if I keep spending time with my kids and I'm present in as much as I can be in a mm. responsible way, um, there will be things that will happen that mean more to them than I'll ever know. Um, and God has taught me that they're the moments for me to look for um, and they're the moments for me to make sure that you don't drop the ball. I'm going to drop the ball, but yeah. try not to drop the ball. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's been super important for me because, um, you know, one of the good things that I did have it was my parents were, were around, but I felt like they weren't at those pivotal moments where mm. I I really was looking to engage, um, whereas. And that, that taught me to look at the Bible and go through and, and try to understand what, what was that that I was missing from, from then and that I find in God. And that now I'm able to kind of play that down into my kids' life. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I'm really proud of that Tina and I have with all of our kids is they talk. Hmm. Um, and, you know, they talk about, more, more to Tina, because obviously they're girls, but they, they talk more about, important yeah. difficult things um and we've tried really hard to make our house a um uh a no judgment zone from the perspective of we have standards like behavior standards with and mm. all those things but um we've really impressed on them that if something happens and you tell us we're okay with that yeah, we're gonna listen yeah first yeah yeah what we, what we don't want is you to not tell us. Yeah. And in fact, that's when there will be, have to be consequences because yeah. deceit isn't something that we think will be helpful for you and it's not great for our ability to parent you. Yeah. Um, so ke- keeping and fostering that ongoing dialogue, we think is really helping them navigate some extremely difficult cultural friendship issues that is going on now that are... Foreign to me, foreign to mm. you, mm. foreign because th- this is high school, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. This is the world of TikTok and, um, you know, Insta everything. Mm. And like some of the cultural undercurrents that are happening at the moment, and again, I do the whole hashtag workism thing, but it's more than that, mm. are really hard for, for kids to navigate. Yeah. So who are they talking to to yeah. find the... Um, advice to deal with those issues. Yep. Now, of course, they're going to talk to their friends, but their friends aren't always going to be the best sources of wisdom. And this is where the... Stu, you're going to love this. This is where the shock absorber comes in. Yes. Help them to understand the wisdom of what you can impart, but to yes. shape that yeah. to the situation that they're in. And you're in. helping
0: them translate those mm. situations through a biblical lens. Yep. And that's, I mean, like we've talked about... Um, Braden and I grew up in a non-Christian family. But Ethan, obviously, being Sue's son, grew up in a Christian family. Mm. And how he really appreciated having things happen at school and be able to come home and have the ability mm. to first be listened to but then translate that mm. through, a, like we said, a biblical lens. And that's what I love hearing. That's why I asked the, p- the question about parents. Because mm. they come on this podcast. Everyone that comes on this podcast is a Christian. But also, I really um, am what's the right word, like really love hearing or knowing that my children, for example, are going to grow up in a Christian environment. Mm-hmm. And that will have impact on their lives and also their children's lives. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're gen- making generational changes because of what Jesus has done on the cross, yep. right? And I think that's what's really excites me about being a parent as a Christian, Yeah, that yeah, the thing that you said also there's like it highlights what you perhaps needed as a as a child, and that you can give that to your children, but also like the great things that your parents did give you already, and that God's God's at work in all of that, right? Mm. But it's just that's just <laughs> exciting. So I, I really like what you what you um, said about that.
2: I think also, sorry, just as a <laughs> as an addition, as not a parent, um, <laughs> but as someone who can talk into that. I have been that kid that's grown up in a in a christian yeah. environment i think um i think it, it, it makes me think back to what you were saying before about other people just being like we're all we've all we're all stories um mm. and in all good stories and in all stories there are moments um and um being there for people in those moments mm. is really important mm. yeah. um and i think even even as a like whether it be whether it be as a parent whether it be as a member of a church like if it's and and whether it's been a a parent being able to go well i actually can't talk to my kids about all this because oh suddenly they're 16 and they've gone Mm. like all this stuff i've done to get them to talk to me like what's 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 happened like that i've had conversations with parents where that has been the case um that's all i'm talking about there um (laughs) and it's that um What's really cool is that as the community we've got in this this shock absorber yes, vibe yeah. is that we can all try and talk into those moments. Um, but at like, for example, a youth group, I only see them on a Friday night for a few hours.
1: Yeah. You can only do so much.
2: And so like, it's so beautiful and so important that you guys as parents are talking into uh, and being Christian influences in the lives yeah. of your kids because- we will help <laughs> yeah. as much as we possibly can. Um, and we will be there when we can be there, um, which is as much as we will try to be there. Um, but you're not their parents. Oh, we're not their parents. Mm. And it's so important and so beautiful that you're able to and that you're actively trying mm. to uh, build that culture in your family yeah. of talking to other one and sharing your stories and sharing your moments and uh, being there for one another in those moments and in those stories, um, and I'm just wanted to say I'm really encouraged by that. Mm. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's also like it is hard for parents, I think, because it's so easy to get um, mistake attitude for lack of engagement. Yeah, and um, like one of my daughters, who shall remain nameless, I was driving <laughs> somewhere, and I always make a point to ask how they're going, mm. um, because when you're in the car, that that's where those incidental moments can yeah. come in. Yeah, and. I got, a, I got what I thought was a typical response and then you could kind of feel that she was thinking about whether she would say more and then she did and she mm. talked about something which she trusted me with yeah. which was great and then I got out of the car and I was like that was a moment for her like mm. where they thought they could go past the standard sort of point and engage with me at a, at a level which was different yep. to normal uh, and that being able to validate her in Mm. what she was saying and, and help her to feel okay was really powerful. I think for her Mm. and made her feel better. Yeah. And then, so I tucked that one away and I go, well, that's, that's really quite precious for me Mm. because they're the moments where you go, ah, okay, I am getting through. Mm. (laughs) It's just that you have 99 incidents where they don't respond. (laughs) And the one that they do is, is, you know, are you going to ask a question? And I think, Mm. um, that's hard. A lot of parents I think get discouraged and sometimes don't go back to the world because their emotions are hurt too. Like yeah. we, th- we, we, we have to think and remember that parents do get hurt by their kids. It's, it is hard. Well, it's
0: still, it's, they're still sinful.
1: Yeah. Just like we are. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and in fact, that's a really important point to drive home. They are sinful and they're going to be, um, I nearly settled word, but they're going to be those things that mm. we, um, don't like. Um, so that's that's one part. The other part that I, I think the Bible has taught me a lot, um, and this is ironically through a blended family, is that what adoption means. Mm, um, right. I yeah, never really cool. thought I could love kids that weren't biologically connected like they were biologically connected until I had that experience. Mm. And now I've got three that I love <laughs> like they're my own flesh and blood. Yeah, and that's that's amazing because it it really does change all of that literature in the Bible of adoption. What does that actually mean? And I think for a lot of people, we don't always get that gift to, to feel that. Um, and I just, I wish I could translate that to other people so that they could get that concept of what it is to be adopted by mm-hmm. God as father, um, because it's such a beautiful feeling. Mm. Um, having now been able to, to go through it and do it for a few years. So that that's one thing that God has taught me a lot about through parenting is it, you know mm. that adoption element. It's
0: it's pretty cool. I re- yeah. I really value wisdom on this stuff. I really learn a lot from that. So thank you for answering that question that's right. in such a wiz- wiz- <laughs> wisdomous <Wisdomus> way. <laughs> it's not the word, but it's funny. <laughs> we'll go with it. Wisdomic. Wisdomous. I
2: like that. Wisdomous. <laughs> it's like wisdomous, but with a U. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Final question. Yeah. Before we wrap it up. Um and if you can hear lots of children, that's they're all here at Soral Church with Fuse, which is our year five and six group. So What was that look
2: for? What? You just gave me the biggest side eye when you said fuse. Did I? I didn't yeah. mean to.
0: I'm like, are you, are you vibing what I'm saying? <laughs> that's yeah, all I am right. saying. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. just letting you know that sometimes when we're recording Chip lunch, fuse is on there in is the other room. Nauseous. That's why. Yeah, well, We just want to celebrate the the kids yeah, that are coming do. along. So 100%. To the crew. I don't like let's call them crew not kids. Uh good final good. question. What do you wish you knew now that you're a little bit older that you wish you knew when you were a younger Christian? Good question, eh?
3: Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how much can I say and how much can I not? Um I would encourage every young Christian to know themselves more. Mm. And I know that sounds all preachy in 21st century, um, but I actually mean it in a different way. Um, your, you, as in younger Christians, are growing up in a really dynamic, different, challenging environment. Um, and I think all young Christians grow up in a similar melting pot of craziness. Mm. Um I think if I had had a better chance to – and I'm presuming here because this is this is always a hypothetical word – I think if I'd had a better chance to understand who I was, I would worry less about what others thought mm. and worry more about what God thought. Yep. And I know that sounds so clichéd, but um, there's a genuine meaning behind this um, – So I've I've long believed that um, what sin does is it disintegrates you. And what I mean by that is as a person, it pulls you apart, makes you different people to different places and locations, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, And consequently, you don't actually act as your natural normal self, the one who God created. So you repress certain things that shouldn't be repressed and you um, enunciate certain things that potentially you should leave a little bit more muted. Mm. Um, I think a lot of Christian kids... Um, need to understand what are the great, beautiful qualities of who they are um, that potentially the world will shout down on or Mm. say things about and force them to reconsider whether they show that part of themselves because it's sensitive. Um, I wish I knew that more about myself now uh, back in the the day because it's not that I think I would have made less mistakes, but I would have felt more secure Mm. in who I am. Mm. and I think mistakes are great to make when you're in a safe environment um, I think not being yourself even if it is a safe environment is a terrible place mm. to, to, to sort of try and live um, and, and working through all of those challenges that of who am I and what is that supposed to mean um, I think potentially we let too many other people tell us who we are instead sort of actually seeking that out for ourselves mm. and, and seeking that out with a mind to the Bible yeah with God yeah. What, yeah, what he's given us. Yeah. Um, a lot of people um, pretend and they do it out of fear and it's an understandable fear, such an understandable fear. They, they, they want to be loved and accepted by the people around them and so they do things and become people that, that aren't actually. Mm. Um, and I want to reassure anyone listening to that pod, the podcast that might hear this that um, who God crafted you to be is a beautiful and wonderful creation. Yeah. You are perfectly and wondrously made. Mm-hmm. And um, when it feels like that person isn't good enough, um, take a step back, go and talk to someone, you trust in a trust in, in an environment where you can take a few hours mm-hmm. and actually work it out. Yeah. Um, you know, speak to Ethan's, speak to the different people mm-hmm. around pray, that. Pray, of, about pray, yep, pray about it. Yeah, pray about it. Speak, because um, learning that, that person that God crafted um, and thought of all those years ago um, is so much more important to your future than you realise. And the sooner you begin to understand that about yourself, um, your life will take on different perspective. And I really, really, really wish I knew that as a kid mm-hmm. growing up because I was confused as to who I really was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I probably didn't really even sort myself out so to speak until I was in my mid 30s mm. um, which is really not long ago because I'm only 38 um, so that's terrifying like living 30 mm. something years not really fully comprehending who you are and having to go through mm. you know issue after issue uh, uncertainty you know um, that's that's what I wish I had done earlier is yeah. taking my time and actually zoned a lot of other stuff out and worked on myself um, and worked out who I was. Mm. But I think the world makes that really hard and the mm. world is trying to tell you who you are rather than you develop that sense of itself.
0: Yeah, and I suppose that when we put our identity in Christ, I think that helps mm. us to realise that that we don't have to be of the, We can be in the world but not of the world That's and right. then we can see like, God, what, what, what have you gifted me with? To be able to contribute to your church mm-hmm. to partner with you and tell me what i can do for you mm-hmm. and then he can re- and reveal to me like the things that you want me to be doing or the gifts that you've given me and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and i think like listening to that podcast I, I can see listening to this whole what you've said in this whole podcast mm-hmm. is i can see you've been doing that throughout your life so <laughs> you mentioned before um two words like and always try and come up with the the title of the podcast while the, mm. <laughs> the podcast is going and I, I feel like it's going to be flourishing in the wilderness because I feel like you've mentioned those two words but you've gone through lots of different things and you said that you in the you talked about going to the wilderness kind of when you the first time you left church and all that kind of thing but also the flourishing bit is what you're talking about there is finding out what you're good at mm. and what you like and what where your identity sits under Christ and so... What the gospel means. Yeah. yeah. And it's all through the, the truth of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Is finding out what the, your true identity in him is. And I think that's been uh, really, really encouraging. Um, and even, like, talking about the wilderness stuff, you, you went to Tonga for a mm-hmm. year. Yeah. You, um, you worked at... You went to uni. You went to... You worked at... Uh, um, what was it? Unilever and Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. Then you came back. Now you work in wine. Then you started your own business. Like, you've got a blended family. Like, there's all these... Mm-hmm. <laughs> These things that and the situation that's God to put you in, in order for you to flourish in His, Mm. under His, under Him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Final words, Ethan? No, that was that was a lovely final words. Okay, fantastic. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time, Ethan. But it's awesome. Most of all, thanks very much for your time, Drew. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. It was a really fun podcast. Thank you very much. (laughs) 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 Let me put the chips on. (laughs) You're gonna get a crown by the
2: by the end of this. I feel like there's
0: got to be a McDonald's fry hat of some kind that we could find. The chip crown. The chip crown. The chip lord. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been awesome having you on, Drew. Thank you so much for doing Um, this. We uh, always like to finish with a one-way, so if you so wish to join us in a one-way, we'll do that. One-way.